Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, part of the amazing FBA podcast family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven figure exit and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Hey folks, welcome back to the 10K Collective Podcast, the place to be for six, seven and eight figure Amazon private label and custom product sellers. And also this is part of the stable of amazing FBA podcasts. So we have something for everyone out there, but this is focused on the needs of the, the more established sellers. And we're dealing today with the very knotty problem of how do you solve a problem like Maria? How do you solve the problem of a global supply chain shortages and incredibly slow delivery? But more than that, the problem of how do you solve a problem if it takes you months sometimes or crazy hours of your time or your staff's time to get to the point where you have a quality product at the right price and it's going to be delivered reliably in a good speedy time frame that is the $64,000 question and that is the question that's being answered today by our guest Edmund Zagarin of BidOps who specialize in this stuff I cannot stress enough how important I think this skill set is to, to nail down if you're in any way serious about your business this is really the problem that everyone's struggling to solve and I think that Edmund has really fabulous insights about this urge you to listen do take notes if you need to if you need to get the notes from the website go to 10kcollective.com enjoy the show so i guess that that sort of brings me to the other behavioral change thing which is often used and often misused i think which is that feeling that as a, i suppose for the supplier i haven't really been on that side let's put it from the procurer or buyer's point of view that i want to set up a bit of a gentle or less gentle competition between two suppliers and that kind of gives me the feeling of confidence as a, as a buyer that they are going to work harder for me because they have a plan B that I can go to if they don't deliver for me. Is that actually, do you think, correct thinking? How do we, is that a, a useful motivational factor or is that actually a red herring? I think in today's day and age, diversification is critical. So you got to, you know, no, no plan of battle survives first contact with the enemy. And that's no truer anywhere else than in, than in supply chain, I would say, right, right now. So do not count on your preferred suppliers being able to deliver for you at the price and operational lead time and quality that you expect forever. Why? Because extreme weather events happen. You know, I can tell you a number of stories about the Texas big freeze that we saw earlier this year where many third-party logistics providers force majeured and said, you know, we can't do anything. Our trucks are frozen. The roads are frozen. The power grid's down. And, you know, the, the chaos that that caused as a ripple effect in totally unrelated industries lasted not weeks. It lasted months. And in some cases, people are still digging out of that because of the, the backlog effect we were, we were discussing earlier. And so... The way that I would think about it is, you know, think about it like a phone tree. You know, an emergency happens. You have the first person you call, the second person you call, the third person you call. And any system, resiliency is a, a fundamental function of redundancy. And so if you have critical product needs, make sure you have a plan A, B, C, D, E. And if you can make sure that the suppliers are routinely competing to win your business, 
And it's set up as an opportunity for them to capitalize on. Frequently, they will be more motivated. And this is actually the overall theory behind procurement is that you have two, well, you actually have four, but to simplify, you have two basic types of suppliers. You have the suppliers that are your strategic partners. You do business with all the time. You're never leaving them. They're never leaving you. You have a lot of shared interests economically. Then you have suppliers that you could kind of take or leave them. You don't spend a lot of money with them. They're not, uh, you're not a, a customer priority for them. And what's interesting is that in both cases, the overall goal to get better quality goods from top suppliers at you know competitive prices is the same. You have comps so that you're making intelligent, data-driven comparisons about your options. You're creating uh, more optionality over time. And you're also looking for consolidation opportunities. And so this is um, where it can get a little bit confusing because I just said earlier that you should have diversification. Yes, optionality produces better results, again, because you have options. You feel more in control. You're not reliant or desperate because you're waiting for someone to respond to a message who you know, just got hit by a hurricane or, or had something else happen. But at the same time, the more of that fragmentary spend with like essentially lower status or less important suppliers you can gather together, you can create really uh, exciting opportunities and then more suppliers will be interested in competing for those opportunities. And that at the end of the day is... Okay. <laughs> this is a very thought-provoking podcast, by the way. I, I'm finding this fascinating stuff. It's stretching my brain, which I'm, I'm enjoying, but hopefully people are getting some very practical points out of this. So can you give us a, a very sort of concrete, the most concrete example and preferably sort of e-commerce importing, let's say importing from China, sending it to the USA, e-commerce, selling on Amazon, a very sort of comfort zone for me and, and probably the audience. Could you give us an example of how this consolidation versus, if that's the right way of putting optionality thing, could play out in real life? For sure. So uh, I'll give you two scenarios. Let's say you have a bunch of different people that you're buying corrugated from in different parts of the world, and some of that's getting shipped in. Now you read in the newspaper that there's a backlog of you know ships at the LA port and it's you know traffic is has slowed to a standstill. You realize it might be in your interest to find a supplier that doesn't have to use that shipping route just in case your current you know your current supplier calls you up and say hey the corrugated's delayed and all of a sudden you go oh well I've got a lot of boxes to ship <laughs> and we're pretty low on corrugated. So you identify, let's say, a group of 10 suppliers. You uh, aggregate your existing spend. So how much demand per unit am I going to spend? You put out the request for quote with a lot of information. And what uh, you used to do before is the supplier would have to download that information from an email. They would read it. They would consult with each other. And then you'd have to wait for each one of them to, to get back. With BitOps, what you do is you simulate that entire process before it begins. And you I rank your list of suppliers by preference. You reach out to the best supplier with a price based off of that comparison. If the supplier agrees to it, you have your plan B. 
And so the next day when your existing supplier calls you and says, hey, there's you know traffic's at a standstill, the LA port super bottleneck, you're not gonna get your corrugated when I you know in- initially anticipated, you go, hey, no problem. I'm gonna need to, you know, get, you know, this will be the next uh, month's <laughs> corrugated. So so no rush, but I, I do need to to get corrugated for this month. And I now have my plan B, top quality preferred supplier, lead time, you know, they're closer to you, so they're gonna get it to you faster. And you didn't have to go through the long hassle of, you know, qualifying and, and negotiating. Okay. So I understand why, you know, getting your plan B supplier lined up via BidOps works well and is quicker and more convenient than, than the very manual process we discussed. How does that, how does that tie in with the consolidation, the consolidation piece? So you said the idea group of say 10 suppliers and you, you said, just want to unpick this. You said aggregate existing spend or the spend per unit. When you say per unit, you don't mean per unit that delivered to the customer, presumably. What? How, how would you go around this aggregation piece? So let's use a, a second example. And so let's say yeah. that you have a ton of suppliers. Let's say you have like 50 suppliers for corrugated. Plan B is not a problem for you. <laughs> you have plan B, C, D. Okay, you actually have a different problem which is that your spend is too fragmented, which means you're not leveraging the economies of scale. You might spend you know, $5 million a year on corrugated, but you're spending with so many different people that they're not giving you preferred bulk pricing or wholesale pricing that you would get if you simply consolidated to a smaller number of suppliers, but upped your order quantity with those suppliers. And so in this case, you have all of the suppliers that come into the platform, you have tranches, and you pick the number of suppliers that meets your strategy. So you say, I want, you know, I want to go from 50 to say seven. And BitOps then executes that entire process with your existing suppliers. And it simulates the process, generates a price, and then it actually goes back and forth with the suppliers to get to that best and final offer. It ranks them based on multiple attributes, so not just price, quality, lead time, et cetera. And then you get a ranked list of suppliers. You can pick the ones that you like the best to award the business to. The other ones you say, hey, at least for the time being, we're not placing more orders. We're consolidating our spend in this area to leverage um, our buying power at scale to get you know just a better deal. And that, if you had... For example, you know, five million dollars in spend, you could reasonably expect to achieve over twenty percent savings by doing that, even in market conditions where prices are going up. And so that's what's really exciting for businesses that are are focused on profit margin or profitability, is that you know, I mean, twenty percent, five five million dollars, you know, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. By the way. <laughs> Interesting you say for businesses that are focused on profit. I mean, by the way, I suppose there really are those that aren't. There's a lot of aggregators that are buying businesses now and they're really, I think they're basically playing a game where they have to show the the giant amounts of investment from people like, you know, Citibank or whatever nowadays and debt holders that they are getting a return on their money. And once you get those sorts of characters involved, it seems to me that profit isn't always a driver, but for any rationally based business, medium, long term, it has to be about profit. And for the people that I work with, you know, I mean, $5 million in spend on corrugated cardboard would be giant for those guys. But but they definitely would love a 20% increase in profits. And that's a very healthy number to obsess about, in my opinion. Revenue is, as they say, revenues, vanity, profit, sanity. Uh, that's absolutely true. In the Amazon space, everyone talks revenue, which is a terrible thing. So just a side note there, profit increase is what it's all about, as far as I'm concerned. 
So there's a lot to think about here, but I, I get the basic point of consolidating. So it sounds like you want enough optionality to trigger the virtues of that. In other words, redundancy. So you're definitely going to get the stuff on time at the right price. But on the other hand, you want to get the economies of scale. And there's this kind of sweet spot in between from what you're saying. Is that about right? Yeah, absolutely. I would say that, that sourcing is about having the shortest path to a kind of Goldilocks portfolio of supply where it's not too many, it's not too few. You have some optionality, but you're not you're not cutting yourself off at the knees when it comes to economies of scale. Yeah, interesting. And that's not the way that I think most people think about it. Is that a thing we, we tend to get a bit scared about the we, we kind of start to believe that our suppliers are unique, I think, don't we? That, that nobody else can get the exact quality. And I guess the reason for that is not because nobody else can do it, but because it's taken us months of painful back and forth discussion to get there. So how do we address this? I guess we talked about quality control before, but maybe we should just kind of come up with a more concrete example. Let's say I'm producing some plastic widget and um, it's got sort of cured foam as part of it i don't know maybe it's some kind of head pillow or it's a sort of travel neck pillow or something like that right and the foam didn't set properly and we had to go back to the factory and, and kind of have a discussion about it now i've got that supplier down and they get the quality control and the price is good but the trouble is they they can't get raw materials and they say to me their next lead time is four months so in a situation like that what what would you do next well, I mean, you have basically two choices. One is you can, you know, accept that the new lead time is four months, or two, you can identify an alternative source of supply. And, you know, I think um, I would encourage people to think about a future that is driven by agility in supply chain, where having optionality um, is necessary, going to be necessary for every every business. And I know that, um, especially in the e-commerce world, we have suppliers where, oh, you know, they're we've done business with them forever. We trust them. They have trade secrets. There's, in some cases, if you're doing custom manufacturing, they have molds. They have other things that 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 are are, are unique to us. But I would say that first of all, having some geographical diversity is good because of these these trade routes. I think having a local option at least available, even if you're not actively using it, is a, is a great idea. And the other thing that you can, you can do is you can set up alerts so that you know about the raw materials shortage before your supplier does. And you can begin that process. So the whole idea of predictive procurement is really just about getting ahead of some of these disruption, disruptive forces, some of these backlogs, some of these bottlenecks, if you can get ahead of them, you often can be in a position of strength when it comes to planning, you know, planning for the future. Because what procurement and supply chain often feels like, and I'm talking about emotionally, is it feels reactive. It feels like you, you wake up one day and, you know, there's a hurricane or there's a trade war or there's a, a actual war <laughs> two countries are fighting and all of a sudden it's um you know not possible to do business as you had as you had planned and so rather than planning for things staying the same i think everyone should be planning for a future in which there's lots of change there's lots of volatility there's lots of unforeseen events and i think that you know diversification without fragmentation and creating optionality around the criteria that matter and if you're in a business where lead time matters then I think it 
it really behooves you to make sure that you have optionality with equivalent lead time. So we definitely recommend that people do the following three steps. One, rank all of your suppliers on every criteria that matters. Price, lead time, minimum order quantity, everything that matters. Two, figure out ways to incentivize your existing suppliers to notify you earlier if there are disruptions. And I, I, I'm, again, big fan of micro bonus programs. There are lots of other ways. To, and figure out a cadence for doing business reviews. A business review is a great way to create a data-driven relationship with your supplier that's not just about you know kind of celebrating or castigating them. It really is just an opportunity for you to look at the numbers that power your relationship with your supplier, ask them if they see anything off, ask them if they see any changes that are coming, and get you get um, them comfortable with sharing bad news with you through that process. And that's really when we talk about great supplier relationships. Suppliers let you know when something bad is happening way early. They give you that heads up because they have the confidence it's not going to impact the long-term relationship. They, You all agree what numbers matter and how to move them. And you agree what should happen if the numbers are way, way off. Wow, this is great stuff. By the way, um, getting, I would say it's partly cultural nuances enter into this as well, if you're going to really dive into this, because getting an American to understand even the difference between American and British culture, they seem so similar that they're not. I mean, when you really scratch the surface, British people are a bit more like the Japanese. They'll smile to your face, say nice things, and then behind your back say what the problems were. I mean, Americans are super polite in my experience, but a bit more used to directness. Germans are super blunt. And the Chinese, like the Japanese, will never say no. So if you ask a question to somebody where you don't have that strength of rapport, my experience, similar with the Filipinos, a bit different. Can you do this in black? They're not going to say no. Can you do this for Friday the 15th of November? They're not going to say no. And yet the truth may be simply black and white. There ain't any chance that it's coming before January the 30th. And developing that relationship to the point where they can be honest with you, is, it's super important. I, I cannot stress enough from my personal experience of importing for China, what you just said is really, really not uh, not an obvious thing. It sounds so obvious that somebody would just tell you stuff, wouldn't it? But I think that you've got this human element that you're also very smart about, which I think is is really, really smart. It's not just about the, the numbers. How else can we... How else can we give them so much stuff, actually? I'm tempted to not ask too many more questions because there's a lot for people to take on board, but there's a lot of wisdom. How do we do with logistics side? So we talked about procurement as a whole, supply chain as a whole. So a lot of it's focused on finding manufacturers. But obviously, one of the huge issues, as you referenced at the beginning of the show, around you know the alleged shortage of containers, and actually you're saying it's a shortage of labor to deal with the containers. How do we deal with all the good stuff you've talked about, specifically within the area of logistics, moving stuff from A to Z? where Z maybe in the other side of the world. Yeah. Well, so, you know, I think as far as, as uh, logistics goes, it's not dissimilar from other categories of procurement. You know, if you think about what procurement is, you're essentially buying, you're buying an aspect of a relationship, often a product or service or material, and you're doing it at scale with great intention. And typically, you know, with logistics, the intention is frequently for e-commerce, we see this just being managed by a third party. You know, it's just, uh, it's tough to like find the trucks yourself. It's often easier to work with, with a third party, third party logistics provider. And so we have among the BitOps customer base, some of the best sourcing work that we've seen done has been in the logistics category this year. So you're constantly hearing about people saying, oh, we can't find trucks. So 
you know, it's so difficult to get things to show up on time, et cetera, et cetera. It is, if you are trying, if you are trying to find a truck today to come pick something up tomorrow, damn near impossible. You know, if you are negotiating a strategic relationship for one to two years with a third party logistics provider, and you can give them some insight of how frequently you want trucks to show up and at what places, there are lots, I'm telling you, lots of capacity for that because it fundamentally offers predictability. It lowers their costs. They can schedule in advance. There are lots of ways that the act of sourcing itself lowers your supplier's costs that they can then pass on to you in the form of savings, increased predictability, and just overall operational performance. And so, you know, I think, you know, just to, to, to kind of put it in a nutshell, don't be afraid to use great procurement methodologies for logistics too, and treat it the same way you would treat packaging or raw materials or your own product components and measure it, figure out where you're at, track it with KPIs, figure out what numbers matter, identify one or two ways you could move those numbers in the direction that makes makes you happy in, in the long term. And then find the people who are able to execute on that plan for you. And I would say increasingly you're you're going to, and you're seeing this a little bit in certain categories, it's already something that, that uh, happens in construction a lot as well. You're seeing sourcing that's outcome driven. People say, I, I want to buy not just a truck, I want to buy a truck with a certain operational on-time delivery expectation as part of the price. And so we're actually seeing in the bidding process, in the quoting process, you can quote operational performance, you know, essentially, don't call it a guarantee, but you can say expectation. Now, will people say yes to that and then not perform? Of course. But if you're sourcing at scale and you're creating optionality, that's not a problem for you. Yeah, because I guess it, the, the thing is there are recursive effects, aren't there? The outcome of one process is the input of another one. So, for example, if I'm on a platform where I've, I've got options for like 10 sets of lorry drivers or truck drivers, and I said the expectation is you're going to, it's a bit like you pay more for a courier that's going to deliver overnight by 9am than you would for something that may arrive in two days or first and second class post, etc. I guess, right? But I guess the difference is if somebody says yes the first time, then they don't deliver then that's one thing. But if they do that the next time and they know that you have five other suppliers lined up, they know they're going to lose the business. They have a much higher incentive to actually be honest and say, we're not going to do this because we don't want to lose the relationship with you. We can do two-day delivery. We can't do one-day delivery. I can see why you can set up an expectation that that will sort of make a more of a self-fulfilling prophecy of that the, they actually do what they say they're going to do. Anyway, I think in my mind, I can see it. I hope the audience are hearing it as well. Uh, listen, there's lots of really super smart thing you're saying here. I, I really like your thinking about this. And as you say, this is presumably the kind of thinking that the bots at Amazon or eBay or, or even possibly a bit earlier in the sort of early days of the internet were applying to the consumer side of, you know, buying products. It makes sense that somebody should apply it to, as it were, the backend processes and it's kind of surprising that somebody hasn't done this before in the sense that the need has been so obvious, but of course it's, say it's a very smart team to put it together. So tell us a little bit about BidOps. Obviously it's uh, it's something that's had huge thoughts put into it. It sounds like it works very, very effectively. So what things does it do for people if they want to use it? Yeah, BidOps is the fastest way to get a quote from any supplier for any item, service or material. 
you know, we have an AI simulator that gives you confidence you're getting a good price and it even allows you to suggest that price to the supplier for a one-click quote experience. And it allows you to have a holistic view into your supplier relationships through KPI dashboards that you can use for conducting business reviews, tracking key operational metrics like on-time delivery, quality, and you know, just other kind of operational performance and risk factors. And it provides a single source uh, of truth for any business in their supply chain. So bringing together data from disparate systems, getting it all in one place, clean, and perhaps most importantly, always on in real time, up to date with no manual spreadsheet or email work. And if you use BitOps, you will never have to email with a supplier again. And yeah. for a lot of our users, that's just a magical thing because they don't, <laughs> that's such a transactional time suck that just having a system where, where it's a shared inbox, someone goes out of the office, <laughs> you know, you have a, it's very easy to pick up the thread in BitOps and also to automatically remind the suppliers if they, you know, owe you a response or need to get you a price or or commit to a timeline or specification or production requirements that 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 you've set forth. So that that's really BitOps in a nutshell, sourcing, supplier management, and just making making your relationships with all of your suppliers a little bit easier and a little bit clearer. If people want to check that out, I'll put a uh, redirect at amazingfba.com forward slash bidops, that's B-I-D-O-P-S for sugar, so that people can easily find that rather than giving massive long URLs on the show. Um, really like your thinking. Uh, apart from anything else, I'd just urge anyone listening, even if you're not planning to use bidops tomorrow, to just, just sit back and reflect on today's podcast and listen again, because I think there's a lot of systems thinking here that is broader and bigger than just, you know, just procurement, although that's a huge and critical area, don't get me wrong. But I think that what you said, Edmund, about the need for optionality and the unpredictability of the future is so bang on. I mean, I'm, I'm just one of those things I'm trying to increasingly get across to people amongst my clients or anyone who'll listen really because i think there's a danger isn't there that we think today is a good model for tomorrow and that's probably not the case is it any other final thoughts that you any questions that i should have asked you or any final thoughts you'd like to leave us with michael it's it's been a real pleasure i've, I've enjoyed the conversation i think what i would would leave people with is if you are very attentive to the financial metrics of your business, then working on systematic operational improvements is a competitive advantage. And it's especially a competitive advantage in a world where so many people are focused on top line. So many people are focused on, oh, <laughs> Facebook ads and like, let me just get more people in the door. If you can build a reputation as a, a high performer from, from an operation standpoint, it um doesn't often get the headlines it deserves for the role that it plays in the customer experience and how it can build loyalty and, and just a great, great experience over time. But that that is a differentiator. And so one of the things that has happened in the world of financial metrics is we've moved from a purely often backwards looking approach to accounting and closing books at the, at the uh, end of each period to forecasting. And so financial forecasting is now critical, of course, for you know doing everything for cash on hand to, to every other type of business planning. And that's that's what's happening with supply chain. So the, the simple way to think about the, the future is uh, bet on change. 
bet on complexity. <laughs> Do you think that there's going to be more change and more complexity in the next five years than in the past five years? I guarantee you there is. <laughs> if you look at the pace of innovation, new products launching, massive changes to the climate ecosystem, massive shifts in 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 demography. So if you're if you're betting on change, bet on predictive procurement because predictive methodologies and forward-looking approaches to buying forward-looking approaches to supply chain will win out in a world that um, has high volatility and great change. Amazing. Well, look, I can't even possibly top that great ending. So I'm just going to say Edmund uh, Zygering from BidOps, many, many thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Michael. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the 10K Collective podcast for six and seven figure Amazon sellers. I really hope you found the show helpful to you. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave us a quick star rating. It will take you all of 30 seconds to do it, but it does mean we can be found by and help many more e-commerce business builders. I wish you fast and profitable scaling, and I hope you enjoy the process of building your seven-figure Amazon business. Thanks very much for listening.